What happens when you're asked to do something shady at work and your job may be on the line if you don't comply? Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. I'm Marna Ashburn, joined by attorney Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer. We're here to offer you insights and perspectives that will help you scrutinize sticky situations in your life and exercise your own ethical muscles. The topic of today's podcast is Ethical Dilemmas in the Workplace. Let's get started. So let's start with our first situation. Before you were hired, the manager asked you to promise that you'll stay in the job for two years, minimum. No contract was offered or signed, just a promise. Now, after a year in the position, you find the situation untenable and wish to leave the job. But you gave the boss your word, and you're a person of your word. What do you do? Kelly, what do you think? Well, I don't think you take the job in the first place. (laughs) Uh, And I say that because business ethics and the corporate culture are important and it's something that each of us should consider when we decide whether or not to take a job and so uh, my concern is more with the corporation's behavior and the hiring manager's behavior so there's something called consideration and there needs to be a benefit for both parties when the parties reach an agreement or what what's you describe as a promise. Um, So in this case, each party needs to give the other something. There's a mutuality of obligation. And this person accepted the job for salary, um, which certainly is a benefit, and then the employer gained a worker or a laborer. Um, But the problem is when the employer asks the friend to stay for two years without providing any benefit to the individual, no consideration. The person isn't provided with an employment agreement or an agreement or a promise of a bonus. Um, It's really not an enforceable agreement. Um, And for that reason, I I don't think that, you know, this person needs to to stay the two years. Um, And I don't think they need to feel bad about it. I think there's more of an issue with the corporation and the, the business's culture. Okay. So, Mike, what do you think? You know, I think what Kelly is talking about is, is kind of the, the seasoned professional in the workplace. Um, so let me take another angle here. What if you're a young person and you're out there trying to make your way in the world and you see an opportunity that is just right up your alley? This is the kind of job you want. This is the kind of job you need. Um, And so you are asked by the the manager, the hiring official, that you you stay for two years if you take this job. And it's kind of your shot. And so you you go ahead and say, yeah, sure, I'll stay for two years because this is a dream come true. But then you get into it and you've got the, you had the word untenable in your introduction. You know, you, you say the situation had become untenable. Well, we have to figure out what that means. Um, is it a question of, you know, you're not 
you're not being paid? Is it a question of uh, verbal abuse? Uh, maybe it's sexual harassment. You know, somehow things have gone sideways or gone south. And I think in that situation, um, you have every right to leave because you were hired by a manager and you, you assumed there would be certain circumstances, certain situation uh, in the job, and, and that has changed. Some, something has become untenable. So I think for you know a young person, um, it might be different. It might be a different set of uh, considerations, both on the front end when you're taking a job, what you thought was your dream job, and then um, you know maybe you were being taken advantage of later. So you you have every you have every right, in my opinion, to unplug and move along. And what do you say to the individual involved who says, "But I'm a person of my word." I think that in that situation, you are, you are lifted of any obligation to stand by your word if the word of the person who hired you is no longer you know, in place, no longer valid. Uh, that, well, I didn't say that very well, but um, you know, so if, if, if commitments to you have been broken, in other words, then you have, a, you have the, the opportunity the option of breaking your commitment at that point. Um, that happens all the time in the world. And especially since there was no contract signed or anything, it was just a... Right. Well, really it was a promise extracted. And uh, when this individual was talking to me about the situation, I said, well, that's, she extorted a promise from you. She dangled a, a job offer in front of you and said, but you have to agree to stay two years or I'm not going to give you the job. Uh, so what we have here is a rogue supervisor kind of stepping outside the bounds of normal HR procedures, I think. And I think the HR office would be mortified to find out what happened. <laughs> Having said that, here we are now, a year into the job. She doesn't like it. Uh, she doesn't like the situation, doesn't like the work. I'm going to say, I'm going to encourage communication. I'm going to encourage a difficult solution-oriented conversation with the boss, perhaps even the HR representative, and figure out what the employee needs for this situation to be better. But I do hold fast to my belief that it was a promise that was extorted and it never should have been. It's outside the boundaries of you know normal procedures. But go ahead with the conversation. Yeah, I've got another thing that you just caused me to think of, Marna. Um, you know, I've been dabbling in the startup world lately, and I got involved with a company recently, and um, it's exciting. It's fast-moving. The truth changes day by day. Uh, the reality of things changes day by day. And what was said and what was even promised a couple of months ago um, often is just, I mean, everybody understands that the circumstances are, are so unlike what they were several months ago that everything has changed. There is no HR manager. There is no corporate culture. There is no uh, set procedure. There's just a bunch of guys or gals who have an idea and are trying to rush something to market. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty wild and uh, turbulent environment. And um, so I think, you know, if I, I don't know your, your background to this scenario, but if you were in the startup world, this happens all the time. Because yeah, it's I think, more, Oh, go ahead, Kelly. Sorry, Martin. All I was going to say is I think all an individual can do is act in good faith. 
you know, do the best they can, communicate, as you said, Marna, but you can only hold up your end of the bargain. And if the situation's untenable and you communicate, you know, the individual really was maybe taken advantage of by this hiring manager who was in a superior position and sort of extracted a concession. I think all you can do is act in good faith, and, and if you have to move on, you move on. Without feeling bad. Correct. You did your Absolutely. best. Absolutely. Yep. And That's all you can do. And lessons and learned, think about that corporate culture ahead of time. Exactly. I mean, if you're young, like Mike said, and you feel like you want to give it a go, that's great. There's nothing like youthful enthusiasm. But generally, I think when you go into an interview situation, you're interviewing the business and the manager as much as they're interviewing you. And you should look closely at you know what kind of code of conduct they have, um, you know, what are their hiring policies? What are their moral and societal values? Because corporations do have those, and those are important. Good advice. And I don't think a lot of people think about that when they're going in. It's a two-way interview, really. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our next ethical dilemma. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We have a second situation for you. What if you are asked or ordered to do something illegal or underhanded or unethical in your job? For example, my uncle was told by his employer to keep two sets of books, one for the accountant and the IRS, and one set of the actual numbers. Another example is in his testimony, Mr. Cohen claimed numerous ethical breaches and criminal acts on the part of the president many for which Mr. Cohen himself apparently served as main actor. What are your options if you're asked to do something illegal or unethical as part of your job? And I would add, what if you do something not realizing it's part of a bigger unethical scheme and before you know what's going on, you're involved? Mike, tell us what you think. Yeah, this is a... This is one where I'm sure a lot of people have found themselves in this position, you know, at some point or another. And um, my sense is that you have to you have to s- sound off and 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 communicate with whomever it is that you're working for and tell them that what you're being asked to do is is something you're not willing to do. Seek an explanation. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe there's something going on that isn't clear here but if you sense that there's uh, illegality if you sense that there's some sort of unethical behavior even if you're already implicated perhaps unknowingly or involved perhaps unknowingly you you have to you have to step away from it as quickly as you can because you know it is just a job it may be your livelihood it may be you know whatever whatever this may be what allows you to put food on the table, but you also have to maintain your self-esteem. And it's, it's hard for people when, you, when they're put in a, a soul-crushing situation that they don't, they don't do well with that. So that's my thought. Kelly? Yeah, I think Mike makes some good points. I think the difficulty is when we have to take responsibility for our actions and our involvement in something but the consequences are so grave, like the loss of a job, the loss of income, you know, and the ability to support your family, which is just a terrible position to be put in. But I think that's what makes 
ethics so challenging is even when the cost is so high, we need to take <laughs> the proper steps. So in this case, uh, you know, obviously your uncle could have gone ahead and gone along with it and done it. Um, you know, kept the two sets of books. Uh, but the second step would be, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to just walk away. Uh, I'm not going to go to the police. I I'm not going to, you know, take any other steps. I'm just going to extricate myself from this difficult situation, which is what your uncle could have done and probably did do. I'm sure you'll share that with us. And it's what Mr. Cohen could have done, but didn't do. And then, of course, the third step would be go ahead and go to the authorities and let them know what is going on in the business or what is going on with Mr. Trump and then follow their advice, which could be, you know, to resign or could be to remain in your position of trust and maybe work for the authorities to try to um, root out what's going on and ultimately have folks held accountable for it um, or prosecuted for it. So you both mentioned this and I just want to come back to it. In many cases, Stepping away from an unethical situation means you lose your job, which means you lose a paycheck and you can't pay to get food on the table. In my uncle's case, he said, no, I'm not going to keep two sets of books. That's illegal. And he was then let go from the job. Fortunately, he was able to find another job at a one-third pay cut. It's he, terrible. You know, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. It, it's, it's a tough situation. So. What do you have to say about that? No paycheck. Well, I mean, that's kind of what I think Mike and I both alluded to earlier. I mean, the cost can be so high, but you still need to take those steps um, because it's the right thing to do. And if that's not enough, you need to take those steps to protect yourself from being criminally responsible or civilly responsible for some serious wrong. Now, Mike, you said you had a situation earlier in your army, army career where you were asked to do something. Yeah, I was asked when I was a young officer by my boss's boss to falsify a document. And it was not a military document. I was selling a car and I put the car up on the bulletin board. This was back in the day when we had bulletin boards and people sold cars on bulletin boards. And my boss's boss said, oh, that's a great car. You know, what do you want for it? And I told him and he said, that's great. Fair price. I'm happy to pay that. I went ahead and got everything in order. And as we got to f closing the deal, he said, could you write me out a bill of sale? And instead of putting the amount that I'm going to pay you, could you only put whatever it was, a half that amount or two thirds of that amount? Because I don't want to pay the sales tax. I was, in a, I was in a real tough situation because in the military, you know, you're very accustomed. This guy outranked me probably by three ranks. And, um, you know, you do, what, you do what you're told. You do what you're asked to do. And I kind of played dumb and I just sort of like avoided answering or somehow stepped, to, stepped out of that at the moment and then came back to him with the bill of sale and every, all the documents in order, the title and all that stuff. And in fact, I put the whole amount on there and I just kind of slid it across the desk and he signed it. So I sort of sidestepped it. I didn't create a confrontation. Perhaps I would now, but I didn't have, didn't have the courage to do it at that point. I'd also say I was new in the job. I knew I would be in that position for, you know, civilian 
civilian world, you don't have the option of saying, oh, this is unethical, I'm going to go find a new job. You're there, whether you like it or not. It's a military assignment. So anyhow, that was what I decided to do. And he didn't make a fuss. He knew he was asking me to do something unethical, and um, he just signed the paperwork, and he paid taxes on the full amount. So anyhow. And that was that, and there were no downriver effects? You know, I don't know downriver effects. He kind of, he didn't have to deal with me a lot. He dealt with me through other people, but it was, it was kind of, there never was a closeness with him. Maybe there wouldn't have been a closeness anyhow, but he sort of kept me at arm's length. Well, maybe you reminded him of uh, integrity for a moment there. Maybe yeah. it was a good reminder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm also reminded of uh, what somebody said to me early on when I was in the Army. I can't remember what was at stake, but she said, well, I would rather lose that than lose my integrity. Yeah. That's a great, I would tell you that whether you're a young employee in a business or you're a young army officer or, you know, again, we're back to the, the person I described in the last scenario. You're that young, aggressive person out there in the marketplace looking for that first job or maybe second job that's, that's the one you really, really think you need. You're at a disadvantage. You're institutionally at a disadvantage. So to have the courage to stand up and say, hey, this isn't right. That takes a lot. That takes a lot of gumption. I think it's interesting to note, though, that we're seeing that more and more these days as we sort of unearth more and more um, wrongdoing out there in, in the marketplace. And I, I think one of the, the great catalysts for all of this has been the Me Too movement. We've had all, mostly women, uh, come forward and say, hey, we're just not putting up with this anymore. Different ethical domain, perhaps, but nonetheless, people saying, uh, that's just not right. I'm not going there. But it's definitely right tied to the workplace, Mike. So it's really on point. Yeah. Very good suggestions on a tough situation. We will be right back with our final ethical dilemma. <laughs> This is our third ethical dilemma. Somewhat similar to what we were just talking about, about when you're asked to do something unethical at work. A friend of mine recently shared that a relative of his was found guilty in a bribery scandal. Someone else was actually the architect of the bribery scheme, but the relative was the chief financial officer of the company and he signed the checks. What do you do when you're knee deep in something before you realize what's going on? consider the college admission scandal that we're dealing with now. Kelly, you want to weigh in on that? Sure. So I think you've got to extract yourself from the situation and take affirmative steps to do so. So I, I'm sure that your friend's um, relative was not only charged with bribery, but some type of conspiracy, which is what we see with the college admission scandal. Um, and conspiracy is a great charge that states and and the federal government use um, to convict people because it takes very little. It's just two or more people that agree to commit some illegal act and they take some step towards completion. That's it. You don't even have to complete the crime. So, And the step could be very small, like the CFO could have attended a meeting 
you know, or signing the checks could be that step. And that's it. So the only way to remove culpability is you've got to withdraw from affirmatively from what you're involved in. So in that case, you know, the CFO or one of the parents in the college admission scandal would have had to communicate to like Rick Singer in the college admission scandal or you know to the board for the CFO or whoever else was involved that I, I do not approve of this, I don't want to participate in this, and then take some affirmative action to withdraw before the conspiracy is completed. Once it's completed, y- you, you can't withdraw. So, you know, it's a very, the two scenarios you describe are very serious and you really need to take affirmative action to remove yourself from the situation. And would you recommend putting that in writing, the affirmative action? Absolutely, and I would also recommend that you get with counsel. I'm giving general suggestions, but if one finds themselves in this type of situation, I would get with an excellent criminal attorney, get guidance, and then you've got to act immediately. The sooner the better. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Mike? Wow, not much to add to what uh, <laughs> I know. what Kelly said. Boy, she kind of took all the air out of the room with that one. Um, I, I think that I've... There's a great saying that I've heard used many times, which is walk with good news, run with bad news. <laughs> and in this case, you need to be running. And I think you need to go exactly where Kelly said. You need to be on the record. It's so easy to be on the record these days with the date stamps we have on texts and emails. You need to record a phone call or something, but you need to go and and begin to get yourself out of this as soon as you realize what's going on. I mean, this scenario refers to senior people. These aren't these aren't folks who don't know better. Um, you know, they're in the C-suite, and um, they've probably, if they haven't seen something like this before, they've certainly heard about it. So when you figure out you're knee-deep in mud, you need to get yourself out of there as quickly as you can. That is serious business. And when my friend was relaying the story to me, my first question to him was, what did your relative know? And when did he know it? And then what did he do when he found out? Well, my friend didn't know the answer to that. But it seems to me the takeaway from this is what you all have said, get yourself out quickly, get counsel, run with the bad news, but also pay attention to those little whispers in your ear about something's not right here. As my old neighbor used to say, something don't smell right here. (laughs) You know, we all get those inklings and we need to have the courage to investigate and explore, ask the tough questions if we are part of something and uh, find out the truth and do what you both have suggested, which is extract yourself immediately and affirmatively. Anything more to add, either one? You know, I'd say that our three scenarios this week are doing just that for me as I, as I look at them and, and think about them. You know, they're sort of exercising that little voice in my head because these are new to me. You know, hadn't, hadn't heard of these or thought of these before you, 
you sent them to us, Marna. But, you know, that, that's a muscle which needs to be exercised, especially in today's society where we find, unfortunately, we find more and more um, people doing wrong, or at least we have more visibility of that wrongdoing. So it, this, is, this is a great process to kind of exercise that, that intuition, if you will, if you can do such a thing. And I also find that discussions like this make, make me hold myself more accountable. Yeah, it's a great point because it's a slippery slope. You need to be thinking about these things day in and day out. And I do totally agree that in life we need to follow our instincts, um, whether it be, you know, in accepting or not accepting a job or, you know, if we get a, a, an unusual feeling from a person or we feel that something's wrong and we're not safe and we need to follow that, you know, that voice and act on it. And, and I know that's what a lot of people tell their kids um, as far as, you know, being safe and predators and, you know, follow that voice, even if people think you're silly or you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. I must be wrong about this. No, if, if that's what your head's telling you, that's what your gut's telling you, follow it. Boy, that is a lesson that I have been continuously learning my whole life. Yeah. And Absolutely, you know, I because would... we want to please and we want to, we don't want to make a scene and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to stand out and kind of go against what everybody else seems to be doing. Mike, did you have something else? Yeah, I just, you know, I think I think both of you are onto something there. When you listen to that small voice and you respect that small voice over time, over the course of years, decades, perhaps even most of a lifetime, um, what you're doing is you are you are enhancing, you know, ideally you're enhancing your self-esteem. You can you can show yourself greater respect, and I think. I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of that. If you don't like yourself, if you don't love yourself, if you don't respect yourself, um, you're in for a long, hard, long, hard ride. Um, and none of us are perfect. All of us have made mistakes that we all have uh, regrets. I haven't met anybody yet that doesn't have some regret about something they did or failed to do in the past. Um, but you got to keep working that and you got to keep coming back to self-esteem, self-respect and listening to that voice and respecting that voice and, and exercising that, that uh, intuitive sense of what's right, what's wrong. That's, that's, a, that's a great lifetime practice. Yes, value, very valuable um, information to end on there. Kelly and Mike? We're at the EndNotes portion of our show, and EndNotes is where we like to leave you with a little something to consider until we meet again next week. Kelly, do you have an EndNote for our listeners? Sure, and I'm going to kind of repeat what we were just discussing, and that is that I think every listener should trust themselves, trust their judgment, um, and in the workplace, you know, choose a workplace that reflects their ethics and their values um, and hopefully that'll be a workplace you know with a strong uh, business model and strong ethical model 
Okay, excellent advice. Mike? I worked for a general probably 15, 20 years ago, and um, he was seen as a, a very wise and just man in the military. That was his reputation. And he used to look at us every now and then, and he would say, if you can't or won't tell your mother what you just did or what you are thinking about doing, then it's probably not a good idea. And so I've always <laughs> used that as a watchword. Now, my, my, mother, my mother is long departed, but uh, she and I still have long conversations. Um, and I, I use that as a, as a way to judge things. And I think that applies to each of our scenarios today. You know, what would, what would your mother think? How would you make your mother proud? So that's just a very real way that I think someone packaged ethics for me way mm -hmm. back when. And it stuck with me. Yeah, that's nice. I used to hear the advice, uh, would you like to see this action on the front cover of the New York Times? How would that make you feel? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want to end with a reminder to you know, pay attention to that still small voice that's telling you something isn't right and have the courage to explore it. And that's going to be it for today's thought-provoking dialogue. For Mike Derrick and Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman, I'm Marna Ashburn. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And stop by our website, ethicsandetiquette.com, for show notes and resources. We'll be back next week with another discussion about everyday dilemmas. See you then. <laughs>